Well, good morning, everybody. This is Nathan Harris from Celebration Center. Welcome, thank you for joining us for our service. For those of you who don't know me, I am the lead pastor here and I'm excited that you're all with us, whether you're a regular attender or you're a guest with us today. You know, it is our desire in this time as you are uh, participating online, whether that's through YouTube or the live uh, message right now, that you would connect with Jesus and with us. So. If you have any questions about anything or you would like prayer about anything, I encourage you, go to that Connect With Us tab and fill out the information and somebody will respond to you. I would love to be able to chat with you and connect with you. Well, hey, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different than we usually do. We are going to have a special time where we're going to take a just a moment of silence. We're going to have a minute of silence. Prayer, And this is important because our nation has been torn and divided in recent weeks as we have seen appalling death, violence, and destruction on display. We have been witnessing intense racial animosity, hatred, abuse, and deep divisions among Americans that these realities have brought to light. And it grieves the heart of God as it should also grieve our hearts that this happens. The United States, you guys, and the world at large needs far more than what any politician or government can possibly give. What we need more than anything right now is God's people, the church, to be repentant, to be humble, to lay down our rights, our privileges, all of these things, to, to go to God, to, to seek humbly His uh, his favor and and to repent and and to to lay aside any uh, anything that we hold on to that displeases God. So that's what we're going to do in this moment of silence, in this minute of silent prayer. As we observe this minute of silence, please allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart for areas of racial bias or any other attitudes or any other thing that might be against what God wants. The point here is, is not to uh, despise ourselves, but to open ourselves up in humility before our loving, gracious God who can transform us from the inside out. We're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning in the message when, once we get there. But but the, the point of this process and, and this activity is, is not to uh, to whip ourselves or to get down on ourselves or anything like that. It's simply to be honest. It's to be humble. It's to, uh, to open ourselves up to God and allow Him to shape us and to change us. So I want to encourage you, humble. Let's humble ourselves. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord's face and let's turn from anything that displeases Him and ask His forgiveness during this next minute. Would you join me, please?
Father, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we are told that you created humans, human beings, mankind, the entire race and family of humanity in your image and in your likeness. God, when we respect one another, when we choose to love and to honor each other, we are honoring you. So God, I pray that you would help all of us to do that, to honor those maybe who have a different skin color than our own, those who have different ideologies than our own, those who maybe might even be our enemies. God, help us to honor all of your created human beings because they are your children. They are your offspring. God, forgive us for any division that we have held on to in our hearts and help us to walk forward, God, in, in newness, in the newness that you bring, that you promise through Jesus Christ. As Paul talked about in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, where, where he, he said that the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down so that now the two parties, the Jews and Gentiles, are one new man in Christ. God, you desire for us as a human race, to be one in you, I pray that you would make us that. And let it begin with us. God, we rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your diversity. And we ask you to change our hearts and our lives wherever that needs to happen. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, you guys. That's very important. I'm glad that you could join with me in that. Uh, this morning, we are beginning a new series called The New Normal. Now, in this series, we're going to look at what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, through chapter 7. All right, so those three chapters, 5, 6, and 7. These are very famous uh, chapters. It's a very famous passage of Scripture, especially the one that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, I call this the new normal because there is something new happening, all right? And we're used to this term right now, actually. We, we see this term happening all around us. In January, not too many of us were all that aware of this virus coming out of Wuhan, China, were we? I know I wasn't. I wasn't personally paying a lot of attention to it, but by March, I know I was, right? And I bet you were too. We have become intimately uh, experienced in this virus, either by having the virus, some of us have had the virus, but all of us have experienced uh, the results of it, how it has uh, had an effect on our economy, how it has essentially shut down our in-person friendships, our lack of being able to get some things in the grocery stores, like toilet paper, and, and new social requirements coming out, having to stay six feet apart just out of safety and trying to protect other people and, and all of the other things that go along with that. I cannot tell you how many people, news commentators and friends alike, 
who have talked about the new normal. What is going to be the new normal? There's been all kinds of speculation about what the new normal is based on what has happened, what has jarred us out of what we've known. We hear this phrase when anything jarring happens to change the way things were before. I, I remember where I was on Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001. I remember what I was doing, but life since then hasn't been the same. Going to airports is not the same now as it was before then. And there were other things in our culture that has changed because of those events. I remember in 2008, my wife and I bought our first home, the only home that we purchased. A manufactured home. It was a great little home. But we, we, the price got brought up a little bit um, more on, on the, the property so that the buyer could get more out of it. Then it was, it turned out it was actually worth. So shortly after we bought it, housing prices plummeted and we were almost immediately upside down in our home. There was a new normal. We experienced this reality in our personal lives. A health issue comes up, a job loss or change happens. Maybe a baby is born. Something happens to take us out of what we have always known and into a new way of doing life. The Gospel of Matthew presents the arrival of Jesus as signaling this very kind of change. What was reality will now forever be different. It will be different because the arrival of Jesus means God is fulfilling his promise to have mercy on Israel, to bring wholeness to all peoples, and in reality to restore the entire world so that the, the realm of heaven and earth overlap forever, never ever again to be separated. That is the gospel, you guys. And we talked about this a bit in our previous uh, series as we went through the book of Philippians, that short letter of the Philippians. If, if you want to go back and you want to hear some of that, do it. Go to ccpuallop.com. You can click on the sermon podcast link or the YouTube link and, and, and see that whole message series. There's nine parts to it. Um, but, but we're going to continue to talk about the gospel in this series because it's important. All right? The gospel is good news about this fulfillment of God's promises. And so here's what this looks like from our passage this, this morning. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, one of the most famous passages in probably all of the New Testament, at least, if not the entire Bible. It's called the Beatitudes. Many of us have probably already heard this. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, the Beatitudes simply mean that these are blessing statements. This is, Jesus is going to say, hey, blessed are people who live like this because this other blessing is going to come to them, all right? So I, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, I'm reading out of the NIV. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can follow along. Here we go. Verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, many people have taken this section of uh, the Sermon on the Mount to be a list of ethical demands. Here is what you have to do to live up to God's standard. This is what your life needs to look like. You need to be pursuing these things. But honestly, all of that misses the point of the gospel altogether and of what Jesus was saying. As N.T. Wright has said, one of my favorite authors and and, uh, theologians and historians has said, He said, the gospel is not good advice. Good advice tells us how we ought to live, right? Ways to make life better, things that we need to do to make life better. He says, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Have you ever received good news about something, something unexpected, something maybe that you've longed for, something that was life changing, but you didn't earn it. It just kind of was dropped in your lap. I remember the time I was uh, coming up on having to repay school debt and somebody called me up and said, hey, God wants me to help you with this. I know you're, you're doing ministry and that, that, that this could possibly be a big burden to you, so I want to pay for your school loans. And they did. This was great news. I didn't earn it. I didn't have to do anything to, to make that a reality in my life. This was simply something that came my way that brought relief. That's good news. That's the kind of thing that Jesus brings in this announcement. All right? So there are a few things that we need as we look at this passage this morning there are a few things we need to understand that are going to help us as we continue throughout this series. Here's the first thing. Number one, Jesus speaks to people who are already disciples. Jesus speaks to people who are already disciples. The Beatitudes are not about how to get into God's kingdom. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has drawn near. All of God's promises are coming true and they're coming true in and through me, through Jesus. All right? Rather than the Beatitudes being about how to get into God's kingdom, they're about what kingdom life looks like. Okay, so there's a distinction here. This isn't about getting into the kingdom. It's about how to live in the kingdom once you're in it. Here's what Matthew says. I want to look at verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. In first century Jewish culture, a teacher sat down. That was the sign that the teacher had something to say and to impart and that it was going to be really important for you to listen and pay attention so you would draw near. And that's exactly what the disciples do. But notice here that Jesus isn't making the disciples do anything, say anything, be a certain way or anything like that in order to get this. He's already called them disciples. He did that back in in Matthew chapter 4 when he called them. He invited them. He said, hey, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus invites us and then he he makes us into what he wants us to be. 
All right? That's how we get into the kingdom. It's not up to us to earn it. So as we look at these two verses, we notice specifically who comes to Jesus. It's the disciples. Now, we don't know exactly how many of them there were. There were at least four, but probably many more by this time. And they are there on the basis of Jesus' invitation to follow him and to be made into something. The same is true for you and I. The disciples were Jesus' disciples because Jesus invited them to be his disciples. And they accepted that invitation. This was an act of grace. The invitation was a gift that wasn't based on the, these guys' availability or ability or anything else to do with them. It was based solely on the kindness and love of Jesus. That's the gift. Okay. I remember the time I accepted an invitation from my aunt. It was Christmas time. We were, uh, it was in Northern California, but it was still fairly cool. I think it was in the forties. My aunt and uncle had a swimming pool and my aunt said, Hey, I'll give you five bucks. If you could jump into my pool and do a couple laps. It's like, sure. Five bucks. I'll do it. And I did it. I got my $5. You guys, our discipleship to Jesus that is, our belonging to Jesus is all part of God's initiative. Certainly, we have to accept the gift, but there's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't put God in our debt as though he owes this status to us. If you are a disciple, if you are a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, it is simply because God in his goodness, love, and mercy has offered it to you. Yes, you took this step to accept it, but God, it originated with God. So maybe you're sitting here and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you would like to, because here's the deal. Jesus opens this invitation to anybody, all right? You don't have to wait for him to tap specifically on your shoulder. He says all kinds of things throughout the New Testament where he says, if anybody will come to me, I will make you God's kids. He said in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever accepts this and believes in the son will have eternal life. He says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus opens this wide up to all of us. So I'm going to say a simple prayer right here, right now. Make this yours. If you want to join in and become part of God's family, just accept the invitation. Join with me. Father, I accept your invitation through Jesus Christ to be part of your family. Here I am. Make me yours. I accept your gift. Bring me into your family. Make me into whatever you want me to be. I've got so much to learn. I've got so much to grow in. But I know that you are going to be faithful and that you are going to lead me in all of that. Father, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, visit them right now. Encourage them right now. Give them your presence. Give them your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, these Beatitudes are not about 
earning anything. Jesus speaks these things to people who are already his disciples. All right? You don't have to earn this. You don't have to live up to it. You simply accept the gift, and then you follow Jesus in the kind of life he wants us to live. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we need to understand is that the Beatitudes describe who has God's favor. There are all kinds of debates in our day, even, over who is favored by God. I mean, we see this between religions. We see this among people. We see this within the Christian church, even. Uh, the same was true in Jesus's day. There were all kinds of Jewish sects and, and people groups who were saying, no, God favors us more than you guys. And so there was this infighting and all of that. So Jesus addresses these things. And, he, and what we need to remember is that these are not things to live up to in order to maintain God's favor or to earn blessing from him. These are statements about just the kind of life that happens in the kingdom and who gets blessed, all right? Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, or excuse me, chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, those who are poor as the world counts poorness, okay? So there's a lack of economy, but also in terms of their lack before God. They recognize, I don't have what it takes to live up to everything uh, in front of you. They have no resources of their own in their or in their own relationship with God nor in front of this world. Jesus goes on, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People who recognize this lack, who understand this and embrace it. This is, these, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The kingdom is a present reality right now, right where they're at. No matter what it feels like, no matter what life looks like, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is a present reality in their lives. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, those who have experienced loss, whether financial, loved ones, status in society, witnessing the failure of people and society to follow God and being heartbroken about that, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God com promised comfort in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. He said, comfort, comfort my people. That promise is for those who realize their loss and mourn over it. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, those who walk in gentleness with others. They are not harsh or bombastic. They don't cling to their own rights. They don't assert themselves for their own benefit. Rather, they are gentle and humble, serving others as Jesus did, laying his life down for others. Jesus says, for they will inherit the earth. The reward for those who live the gentle life, the gentle loving way of the kingdom, is to inherit the earth, you guys. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are desperate for and will succumb to death without right righteousness. Righteousness defined as faithfulness, both 
our personal faithfulness, you know, I, there have been many times in my life where I've been like, God, I just help me. I don't know how to be remain faithful in this particular area. I need you to, to change me. And, and I've, I've gone to God hungering for that. But there have also been times in my life where like the psalmist, as you read in the Psalms, people crying out to God, God, how long? Be faithful. Remember your promises. Fulfill what you have said you are going to do. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The promise isn't for an immediate future or anything like that, but eventually it's going to happen. We can count on this. We can bank on it. God is going to fill the hunger of those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When you feel like you've got a lack of that in your life, someday God is going to fill it. I can't promise when, but he will fulfill it. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, those who are like God, showing kindness and forgiveness toward those who don't deserve it the way God has done for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Not that they've earned mercy, but they're living in the, in the, in, in, in the context of mercy, of giving and receiving mercy in an ongoing fashion. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, those who are pure from the inside out. Unlike the religious leaders of Jesus's day, and we're gonna see more about this next week, this is a work that must be produced by God in people. This isn't something that we can do on our own. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All throughout the Bible, we're told that nobody can see God and live. But the promise is that as we are pure in heart, as God changes us from the inside out, as we're following Jesus and we allow God to do this work in us by his spirit, then we are actually going to behold God in Jesus. That's the promise. We're going to see him. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who bring the good news that your God reigns, bringing harmony between all peoples, as opposed to the world's way of dividing people and nation because of issues or ideologies or anything else like that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They're going to be called God's kids. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because they are walking in a way that is faithful to what I'm talking about, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we see this. Jesus uses this particular blessing at the end of the Beatitudes as he did at the beginning, and it, it, it bookends it, all right? The kingdom of heaven is what he's saying is a present reality. It is present for people who live a kingdom life this way. Not that they've earned it, but because God is moving in their lives and, and they're finding in their, in their weakness that God is doing things in them, through them. They're experiencing the outside world and the pressures and everything else that goes along with it. And they're having to cry out to God, but they're remaining faithful as they walk as Jesus's disciples through this life. And they experience right here, right now, the kingdom of God. Jesus, one of the things that we need to understand in this is that Jesus says, all of these things are coming true because I am in your midst. I am here. I am bringing these things to you. 
And as we continue our time throughout this series, we need to understand that this is the kind of life Jesus calls us to when we accept the invitation to become his disciples. Not that we live up to this kind of life, but this is automatically the kind of life that we can find. We can find joy and sorrow and trial and triumph and everything in between. And we live it all under the guidance of Jesus Christ. And by his spirit. This is the life produced as we sit at the feet of the master and teacher, Jesus. And as he gives us his spirit so that we are transformed from the inside out to becoming these kind of people in community together. This is more good news, you guys. We don't have to produce this to get God's favor. God is going to do this work in us. Yes, we need to apply ourselves. Grace is, is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. There are things that I need to do. I need to submit myself to Jesus every day in every way. And I need to be obedient to him and follow him in my weakness. And as I stumble and I say, help me and save me. And, but, but that's the point. We get grace all along the way. This is a work that God is going to do in us. We don't have to produce this on our own. It's kind of like me playing games with my daughter or doing housework with her. There are things that she just doesn't understand that she's not able to do well. But as we do these things together, I help her along. I show her, but there are some things that I even, I get around and I, and I guide her hands with and, and I show her how to do things. And she becomes a more full human being as in, in the process. It's the same for us as we submit ourselves to Jesus and, and allow him to shape us. That's what Jesus does for us. Will we be the people who accept the invitation to sit at his feet and walk in his favor. Will we be those people? That's number two. Number three, our part is simply to accept Jesus' invitation. Our part is to accept Jesus' invitation. This last point is very short, okay? Here's the crux of the matter. The question we have to answer is, the only question we have to answer is will we accept Jesus' grace-filled invitation by placing ourselves at his feet in humility? Jesus, I don't know it all. I can't make this life happen in me. And so learn life from him as he gives us the means to live that life. Is that how we will live? You guys, this is something we must do every single day. Day. We're used to taking care of our cars. We check the oil. We make sure that the battery is good. We rotate the tires. I mean, there's all kinds of tune-up things that we do. We pay attention to the dash lights that are telling us when something is going wrong. We take it into the shop, or at least we do if we want the car to run for very long, right? You guys, it's the same kind of thing in our life with Jesus and our relationship with him. Will our lives be sourced in the one who gives freely what we need to become the people he's created us to be. We need to accept Jesus's invitation every single day. So I've got some homework for you. 
as we embark in this series, here's some homework. If you are already a Christ follower, here are some things you can do to position yourself to live this way, all right? To live this blessed and favored life by God. It's simple. Remain in him. Remain in Jesus. So here's some practices that will help us to do that. First of all, practice thankfulness. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 say, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Practice thanking God for his goodness and his gift to you. Just take a couple minutes every single day, at least. Start out just with just two minutes. Maybe you read that, those verses, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, and then sit still and just thank God. That's an act of humility. Another uh, practice is confession. Confess to God. Psalm 32, I love this one. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but part of it is, hey, blessed are those whose sins God no longer remembers, right? And, and later on, he's, the psalmist says, when I remained silent, in other words, when I stayed in my sin and I didn't confess it to God, life was hard. I felt God's hand on me and, and it wasn't good and, and things were difficult until finally it erupted out of me. And then later on in the psalm, God says, you know, don't be like the mule or the horse who has to have a bridle in their mouth in order to be turned this way or that way. Don't be stubborn like that. Rather, just release it, say it, confess it. You guys, practice telling God about your failures. He already knows them and he still loves you. That's the great news. This, again, is another act of humility. It's simply, when I do this, I'm positioning myself in front of Jesus and saying, you're king and I'm not. You've got the way of life. I don't. And I'm following you. So practice confession. A third practice is to request. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We actually talked about this a little bit last week where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, and, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Practice asking God for what you need. Don't try to wrestle things all by yourself. Just take it to God in prayer. And again with thanksgiving. All of these things begin with being humble and leaning into Jesus rather than relying on our own ability and our own status. Which, let's face it, all of those things change from moment to moment. So your homework is to begin by doing these practices for just a few short minutes a day. Pick a time when you can be focused on them and on God. Grow in, in this time over time. In your focus and time spent in these practices. Not, not to earn anything, but because you are God's child. Hear me, you don't do these things to become God's child. You do these things because you are God's child and you're maintaining relationship with him. What might happen? 
in your life? What might happen in your family? What might happen in the community around us if this is how we lived? Like the disciples, leaning into Jesus, hearing what Jesus has to say and, and saying, you're right, you've got it, and simply following him, even in our own stumbling and, and muddling along the way, knowing that he's with us, that he is changing us from the inside out and allowing him to bring that blessed life into our lives as we simply follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't require us to live up to a standard in order to be part of your family, that, that you freely call us. You have called us through Jesus. By sending Jesus Christ, your son, into the world, you, are, you have effectively called all of humanity to yourself. The good news is that you are fulfilling your promise, that you are bringing wholeness, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness. God, help us to lean into you, to lean into Jesus Christ every single day. And Jesus, lead us in life. Disciple us. Make us your learners. Teach us how to walk your way every single day in this new normal where you are the king and we are not, where you are the teacher and we are the learners. And help us to do this together in community, we ask, Father. We thank you for your goodness. Have your way in us and have your way through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here. I appreciate it. I look forward to you being with us next week. We're going to continue in this series, The New Normal. And it, I think it's really going to be good. It's going to be challenging and it's going to be good. So come back and we will talk to you next week.